With the new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming. Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service with AutoPay. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details. The Leslie Marshall Show. A true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a Democratic strategist, a columnist for The Hill in Washington, D.C., and a political analyst for talk radios, talk news stations, KNX in Los Angeles and WGN in Chicago. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling company, or if you have any suggestions or ideas for Deadline DC, the best way to reach me is on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Brad Bannon, all one word. Welcome to all of you who are watching me on Twitter or Periscope. Now everyone can watch the show by going to periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon. Our guest in the first half hour is Janae Austinheld, who writes on social justice issues for the Boston Globe. Democratic strategist Tim Zink joins me uh, and progressive activist Mark Grimaldi for the provocative progressive political panel in the second half hour. Janae Osterfeld is a culture columnist who covers identity and the social justice through the ends of culture and the arts for the Boston Globe. This in 2020, this means exploring both the pandemic of the coronavirus and America's original pandemic, racism. She joined the Globe as a culture writer in 2018. A graduate of Norfolk State University, she has held the 2017 Neiman, she's been a 2017 Neiman Fellow at Harvard University. Her Twitter handle is Janae, uh, sincerely Janae. Uh, Janae, thanks for joining us today on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, you uh, write about social justice through the uh, through the uh, uh, and the relationship uh, to the media. I was watching uh, coverage of the protest uh, in Los Angeles yesterday on the ABK ABC, the ABC News uh, affiliate there. And during the course of the coverage, which I watched for about an hour or an hour and a half, they had a split screen uh, on the left hand side of the screen. Uh, and it was all filmed from a helicopter. Uh, so you were looking down on the left 
at a group of protesters who were standing uh, in front of the police. And on the right-hand side of the screen, uh, you were watching people loot uh, stores uh, near the Santa Monica Pier. Uh, and as I was watching it, you find your eyes gravitating towards the looters because there are people moving and people, uh, uh, you know, in action. Whereas on the left-hand side of the screen, you have peaceful protesters uh, who are just standing there and you can't hear what they're saying or chanting because it's all from a helicopter. Uh, how, that's my uh, long-winded way of asking you, how do you think the media coverage uh, of this, uh, uh, of the protest has been? I think the, the media coverage, some of it is good and some of it is bad. As usual, there's good and bad. Um, I think that there's a tendency, just like you said, your eye went to the looters. I think there's a tendency for um, broadcast media specifically, but also traditional media to, to play up uh, the salacious and what, what works for um, headline and readership and viewership. And I think it's very interesting because city after city after city, you'll hear uh, local leaders go on TV and say, well, it was a small percentage of people um, participating in looting. Most people were peaceful, but that's not how they tell the story. Like once the narrative hits the news, it's like violence and mayhem. And, and even then, I don't think that's the right way to tell the story. It's, there's no one right way to protest. That's the purpose of the protest. Also, you have to ask yourself why the people are, are, are uprising. What is this uprising about? And when America's love language has always been money and they value profit over people, that's a violence. And that's a violence that is going to be used against you eventually. If that's your love language, then that is the way people are, some people are going to talk back to you. Okay, uh, let, let me ask you this. Uh, I may have been, uh, I was going to say I may have been naive, but I probably was. Uh, I've been involved in politics my whole life. And I mean my whole life since I was a kid. And I think I felt like many people that when Barack Obama was elected in 2008, and especially watching his victory speech on election night in 2008, there was a lot of hope among some people that this meant finally the United States had, you know, moved past its racist past and we'd moved to a new era. Uh, of racial harmony. Just saying it seems so naive, but that's the way I thought at the time, and I think many people thought that way. And Barack Obama was uh, very fond of quoting that line from uh, uh, Martin Luther King, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Uh, what what happened? Uh, was I naive in thinking that uh, Barack Obama, the election of a black president, was going to usher in a new era of racial justice and harmony? Uh, because right now, today, in light of everything going on, I, I just feel 
kind of stupid thinking that way. I don't think you were stupid, but I think just like you have been in politics your whole life and cared about it since you were a kid, I've been acutely aware of my race since I was a preschooler. And I think black people in this country are born into racism and born into oppression. It's it's just, it is, it's, it's, it happened. You know, preschoolers are, black preschoolers are suspended, suspended at a rate 3.6 times higher than other preschoolers for the same offenses. Uh, we see first graders handcuffed by cops for throwing tantrums. When you grow up this way, that is a violence. So I think for us, when we saw Obama get elected, not all of us, but I think a lot of black people held their breaths. We held our, our breaths because as proud as we were, we were scared for his life because that's the country that we've come. We were literally scared. Like, is he going to live all four years? Or are they going to murder him? Because King was murdered. X was murdered. <laughs> Fred Hampton was murdered. Like all great, like, the attacks on, on, on black leadership is insane. And we were scared for his life. And it's like when you revisit that era, as much hope as there was, there was clear ang anger over his arrival. There was the birthism. There was that crazy New Yorker cover depicting him and, and Michelle Obama in very racist ways. Like there was the chicken and waffles thing. There were so many things. And as a journalist, I can tell you, my hate mail kicked up many notches when he became president. I got death threats. Like he brought, it was more like he was the ripping open of a Band-Aid. It was great to see a black president, but he was still the president of a supremacist system and an oppressive system. You, It's kind of like people thought Meghan Markle going, going over to the monarchy was gonna upend it. It didn't upend it, the monarchy upended her. And that's kind of what happened when Obama became president. It's like, it just brought out the worst of the country and exposed what this country is built on and what it has always been built on. And this, the result was getting Trump. Do you think we've made any, you know, it just, it just seems like a stupid question to ask uh, right now, but uh, do you think this country's made any progress in racial relations uh, or are we just, is things as bad as they've been, you know, for the last generation? I will never say that we haven't made progress because I will never disrespect the ancestors and elders before me that way. The progress has been made. The problem is supremacy keeps changing forms and finding new ways to hurt people. And everyone thinks of racism as hateful instead of insidious and built into systems. And um, I think the system has to be dismantled and rebuilt. And we can't just keep thinking like, oh, a new leader will change it. That's just not going to work. Okay. We're going to go to break now. When we get back, our guest will be Janae Ostenfeld, uh, a columnist on culture and social justice for the Boston Globe. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest in this half hour is Janae Ostenheld, who is a columnist on social justice issues for the Boston Globe. Welcome back to Deadline DC, Janae. 
let me uh, ask you this. Um, I think I read something on Facebook yesterday. You know, it was that basic, uh, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And, you know, I think many white liberals are, you know, sitting back in their homes watching the protest on TV, uh, you know, wonder, you know, what what can they do to make a difference? Uh, you know, I think part of the thing is that, you know, before uh, George Floyd's murder in Minneapolis last week, you know, we weren't paying very much attention to racial injustice or police behavior or anything like that. And, you know, what what can Americans do to make this a better situation and deal with the racial injustice issues in this nation? Um, Rather than just watching it on TV. I think people have to care and they have to care radically. I think one of the problems is no one stops to pay attention or care until they see a video of a man being murdered. It's like you see, it takes, literally feels like it takes the country seeing a, a, a white cop's knee on someone's neck, watching a, a, him suffer for minutes and minutes and minutes. One of the longest videos we've seen since uh, videos like this have become normalized. And the problem is they are normalized. Like this isn't new. We, we, we can name hashtag after hashtag after hashtag of people who lived and should still be here who are murdered. And, you know, I keep hearing people call it like, oh, the George Floyd protest. And this is, people are angry, not just because of George Floyd, but because this has always been. And we only care when we see it on camera these people know they're being filmed. And they, this is how we're watching them behave when they know they're being filmed because they think they are just and right in their actions. So imagine how they behave the times that don't make it to camera that we don't care about. And we don't talk enough about the conditions that created this. We don't talk about all of the unfair laws. We don't talk about <laughs> the school to prison pipeline enough. We don't talk about the war on drugs and the side effects of what that did. We don't talk about all the various laws created to break up black families. We don't, we just don't talk about redlining and why so many people, even with coronavirus, why so many black people are disproportionately dying. Well, we have asthma and diabetes. Why do we have that? Because of redlining and we live in neighborhoods that are heavily polluted by factories and, and trash dumps. And that's all racism. But liberals often only like to talk about racism through the lens of like, oh, I'm not hateful. I don't hate anyone. I don't use the N-word. It's so much deeper than extreme violence than we see. It's so much more insidious than that. So it's like, you have to care. And unless you really care day in and day out and do the real work, I don't know what kind of work you're doing because it's not something you could simply just say, well, I made a $50 donation, so I did my part. Like, it's gonna take so much more recognition than that. Um, Everybody likes to quote Dr. King and forget that racist murdered him. You know, I know Obama had the quote he liked, but, you know, I use the Martin Luther King quote that I don't think people talk about enough. You know, I think America must see that riots do not develop out of thin air, he said. Certain conditions continue to exist in our society, which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots. 
But in the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. And what is it that America has failed to hear? And liberals have to stop saying, well, they're not talking about me, and start saying, what is it we are all failing to hear? But that's what I think. Okay. Um, I was... Uh... Uh, thought of your column today. I saw a news news uh, item from NBC News, and they did some sort of study, and they uh, found that in the last few years, I forget the time period, uh, Minneapolis police had rendered 44 people who they arrested uh, unconscious during the course of an arrest. Now, I'd never heard of this, you know, before now. Uh, and obviously, in light of the uh, tragic murder of George Floyd, uh, it becomes, you know, uh, it becomes very open. Uh, you know, and it's funny, too. I lived in me. I went to graduate school in Minneapolis at the University of Minnesota. In fact, I lived in South Minneapolis while I was there, uh, where, you know, many of the protests are occurring. And you have this, you know, certainly when I was there, uh, Minneapolis was a very liberal city. Um, it still is some ways. Uh, but, you know, when you have liberal political leadership, you know, how does it, why does this pattern of police misbehavior and misconduct uh, continue so blatantly as it appears to have been in Minneapolis in the last few years? I mean, Minneapolis is where Philando Castile happened. Minneapolis is, is where they, during a routine traffic stop on camera, uh, a police officer threatened to break a 17-year-old's leg for no reason. It literally said, because I feel like it. Like, this is... That's the problem when we see these things, we think, oh, these liberal cities, and, and I think particularly for white people, they think, oh, this is rare. It's not rare. It's just, this is when you see it. Like, people are this level of angry because they are righteously anger, angered because this is happening to them all the time. This is a, a life they live with. And um, I, I just, I think we have to get out of the thinking that, oh, I live up north or I live in a, in a city like Minneapolis where that is, is liberal and inclusive and multicultural. So that means things are great. We're seeing all the police violence in New York. Like, that's supposed to be a liberal city. Those police officers are throwing people around, running them over. Like, I think we're going to keep running this ugly loop if everyone starts, if everyone continues to think of race as a, oh, this is just for a Republican issue. This is an American issue. This country was built on racism and we are all standing under an umbrella of supremacy and getting rained on. Do you think it's possible that the widespread public disgust over the way George Floyd was murdered will, you know, spark, you know, more tension you know, to racial justice, or is it, are we just going to keep going on the way we've been going? I want to believe that it'll spark that type of change. I want to have that kind of hope. But when I see the narrative becoming about uprisings and protester violence instead of the police violence we keep seeing, it's already looking to me like they're trying to justify um, certain behaviors and militarize and, and hurt people who are simply fighting to be free 
Okay. Uh, Janae, that's all the time we have. Uh, thank you very much uh, for joining us this afternoon at Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm sure we'll have an opportunity to talk about uh, these issues again, because as you said, they're not going to go away, sadly. And uh, But anyway, thanks for joining us today. Our guest has been uh, Janae Osterheld, who is a columnist of the Boston Globe. And she's been talking about her recent columns on the fallout from what happened to the harp and the apples. We'll be back. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. In this half hour, uh, we will, as is our custom, have our provocative progressive political panel. Uh, but before we that we uh, we do that, uh, I have a few thoughts on uh, the racial crisis and what it means to Joe Biden. Joe Biden certainly has his work cut out for him when he becomes president, or I guess I should say, if he becomes president. Oh God, hope. He does. While Donald Trump was asleep at the switch, the deadly COVID-19 killed more than 100,000 Americans and 40 million more people have lost their jobs. Even if the pandemic recedes by Inauguration Day in January and Joe Biden is president, there is a danger of a second wave of contagion next winter during flu season. Biden would also need to deal with the lingering pandemic economic fallout of lost jobs, bankrupt businesses, increased government spending, and declining tax revenues. And just when you thought things couldn't get any worse, they did. The tragic death of George Floyd and the President Trump's race baiting have opened up uh, the festering racial wounds in American society and ramped up the pressure on Joe Biden to select an African-American running mate. The presumptive Democratic nominee was already under tremendous pressure to select an African-American running mate before the racial divide in the United States cracked wide open in Minneapolis last week. The fault line of death and destruction spread quickly across the nation. After weak showings and early contests in Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, Biden won a resounding victory in South Carolina with a strong assist from black voters. In South Carolina, most of the primary voters were African-American, and they voted by a th- more than a three-to-one margin for Joe Biden over Vermont, over Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. After his big victory in South Carolina, Biden capitalized on his victory there. Uh, with strong support from black Democratic primary voters with a strong showing on Super Tuesday. The media media exit polls indicated that African-Americans that day gave Biden a 40% margin of victory over Senator Sanders. It's safe to assume African-Americans will support the presumptive Democratic nominee in November, but it's uncertain whether they will turn out in large enough numbers to help Biden win. After Barack Obama's victories in 2008 and 2012, there was a sharp 
decrease in black turnout in 2016 with two white candidates, Hillary Clinton and Senator Tim Kaine of Virginia on the Democratic national ticket. A black running mate for Biden might generate the turnout that he needs to win. In 2012, African-American turnout actually surpassed participation among white voters. In 2016, white turnout held steady, but black turnout dropped by 7%. Fortunately, there are several quality and qualified African-American women who could run with Biden. Senator California Senator Kamala Harris looms large on the list of potential running mates. Law enforcement has reared its head and is an issue in this fall campaign, and Harris has big-time legal credentials. She rose from being the district attorney for San Francisco to being California attorney general, and she now serves on the Judiciary Committee in the United States Senate. While Harris has an impressive legal background, Representative Val Demings of Florida has frontline law enforcement experience from her service as chief of police for Orlando, Florida. She became a player on the national scene as one of the House impeachment managers in the Senate trial of Donald Trump. As the mayor of a major American city, Keisha Lance Bottoms has been on the firing line in the battle against racism and the pandemic. She has maintained a balance between the need for racial justice and law and order during the protest in Atlanta this weekend in the wake of George Floyd's death. Bottoms made a name for herself during the pandemic by resisting GOP governors uh, Brian Kemp's efforts to risk public health and safety by resuming business as, university, as usual during the height of the pandemic crisis in Georgia. Biden has a tough call to make because there are many other potential running mates that could be assets in his campaign. Governor Michelle Lujan Grissom of New Mexico is a Latina who represents a group with its own grievances against the racist policies of the Trump administration. She served for six years in the U.S. House of Representatives and as a governor has been on the front lines of the battle against the pandemic. This is good balance for a Washington insider like Joe Biden. Biden could use some help from Hispanic voters in the fall in his battle against the president. While Biden did well with African-American voters in Democratic primary contests, his performance with Latino voters was shaky. On Super Tuesday, uh, Biden lost the Latino vote to Bernie Sanders by an 8% margin. Elizabeth Warren's background in bankruptcy law could be a big asset in Joe Biden's campaign to rebuild an economy shattered by the COVID-19 plague. Her support for progressive policies would also be a guarantee for supporters of Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders that there would be a strong voice for populist economic policies in the councils of a Biden administration. The presumptive Democratic nominee cannot afford the progressive defections that hindered Hillary Clinton in her unsuccessful campaign to beat Trump in 2016. The exit polls that year indicated that one out of every 10 Sanders supporters voted for Trump in November. Other Sanders supporters did not even bother to vote. But Biden owes a big debt to African-American voters. 
He's an old-fashioned transactional politician who understands the importance of repaying political debts and rewarding friends and allies. Donald Trump's response to any crisis is to pour gasoline on the fire. Biden is more of a comforting president than a revolutionary. His personality makes him a bridge over troubled waters in terrible times. He could help calm those waters with a black running mate. You can read this column and my take on the presidential race in the Hill every Monday. Just Google muckrack.com front slash Brad Dash Bannon. Now it's time for our provocative progressive political people. Our guest panelist today is Tim Zink. Tim is a principal at Molecule, a public affairs and business company. Tim has spent his distinguished career shaping public policy and politics. His Twitter, Twitter handle is Green Crude. Joining Tim on the panel is progressive political activist Mark Grimaldi. Mark has worked on get out the vote operations for several Democratic presidential candidates, including Joe Biden. Mark is also involved in campaign finance reform and philanthropic efforts for cancer research. His Twitter handle is Mark J. Grimaldi. Okay, panel, let's try this. Uh, Tim, uh, do you think that the events of the last week are going to ramp up the pressure on Joe Biden uh, to select a black uh, running mate uh, for uh, the presidential race this November? Well, I, I certainly, I, I certainly do. In that, in that, it's ever present the importance that race is playing in the presidential race. Um, I think it's even more apparent the importance of social justice issues that are playing out in in, in this country, and as that relates to the. Uh, to its relationship to a presidential race, I think it's absolutely essential that the the team uh, around Biden consider those issues and consider the right profile of vice presidential uh, nominees that the, that they evaluate and, con- and include. And um, it makes a lot of sense for me, no matter what the profile is, that the issues that they focus on related to um, uh, related to social justice are, are one of the things that are at the top of the list along with climate and other issues that uh, those communities are going to be facing or are facing today. Um, and so I see, I see the pressure continuing to mount to on, on, the, on Joe Biden to pick or select an African-American uh, or black uh, vice presidential nominee. Okay. Uh, Tim, do you think this is, you know, up to this point, uh, it looked to me that the uh, campaign was uh, simply going to be a referendum on Trump's handling of the uh, COVID-19 crisis. Do uh, last week events in Minneapolis change that? You know, this is a referendum on Trump's entire management style uh, or his lack of it. So in every scenario that uh, uh, and crisis that this administration and President Trump has been faced with, he has failed the test of all American leaders. That is an appropriate response to the crisis. And okay, we're going to have to go to break now, Tim. But when we come back from break, uh, we'll have more of De- Deadline DC with Brad Bannon and our provocative progressive political panel with Tim Zink and Mark Grimaldi. Stay tuned. 
Leslie Marshall. Real people, real life, real talk. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bam. We're in the middle of our provocative progressive political panel. Uh, our guests are on the panel today are Tim Zink of Molecule, a public affairs and business company, and also progressive activist Mark Grimaldi. Uh, let's uh, let's uh, try this. Uh, l- let's uh, l- let's discuss something uh, we uh, discussed a little bit uh, during the break. For those of you watching us on Periscope. Uh, is this up until now, many people have made the argument that the campaign between Biden and Trump in the fall is going to be a referendum, uh, on his, on the president's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, now we have this racial crisis, uh, that's evolved and became very open in the last week. Uh, is this concern about race relations and police misconduct is this going to last until november 3rd or are we going to move back to a focus on uh, covid19 mark i i think uh and, and thank you again uh brad for having me it's always a pleasure to talk with you uh and tim um i think one thing that is apparent is that this has become a large issue for a lot of people um, around the country, whether when it initially happened, they realized it was going to or not. I think now that we see the protests around the country, um, this seems to be a different moment in our in our time. People are willing to go out in the middle of a pandemic and risk their lives to make a statement. And you have, you know, like we've talked about in the break, others who are unfortunately taking advantage of this and making a lot of peaceful protests turn violent. Um, many of them having nothing to do with the actual protesting of the police brutality against George Floyd. Um, I think that it's possible that this does stay with people um, through November and into the election, specifically on how Trump has um, so just poorly mismanaged this uh, as everything else he seems to touch locking himself in the basement of the white house and doing nothing to calm the nation but instead just simply tweeting out things that are you know getting actual warnings because of their contents of violence by by twitter um and and the the talking about inciting violence having a warning on the tweet because it was so bad um when the looting starts the shooting starts and then today excusing white supremacy you know on his twitter feed um i do believe that you know covid seems to be just getting worse covid19 and the spread here in the united states because of uh the lack of a coherent federal testing policy and any sort of federal policy to make things better instead trump was just focused on trying to reopen things as fast as possible so i do believe those restrictions in people's lives are going to be um that much more firsthand than this issue however i I don't think you can underestimate uh how much this is affecting people and really uh 
taking their focus um, as as many are seeing now who I think did not realize what a, a large issue this was. As, as your previous guest said, Brad, Brad Janae Osterfeld, this is not just about protesting George Floyd. It's about, you know, all the countless names, you know, that, that people were using as hashtags of black people, unarmed black people being murdered by police um, and being killed or, or not receiving justice as they were killed by others. It's it's come to this. It's come to this boiling point and built up to this boiling point. And that video seemed to be the final straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. Okay. Uh, let's try something else. Tim, uh, ABC News and the Washington Post released a national poll uh, uh, over the weekend. And it showed that Joe Biden uh, had a uh, 10 point lead over Donald Trump in the head to head between the two presidential candidates. Uh, back in March, uh, when, uh, when, the, when ABC and the Post polled, uh, they did a poll and they showed Biden was up by only 2%. Uh, so he's gained uh, considerable uh, distance on the president. Uh, Trump's disapproval rating has gone up significantly. Uh, now, Biden right now uh, seems to be doing pretty well. Uh, I think the interesting thing is, for the most part, except for two recent, experience, uh, recent experiences, uh, Joe Biden has uh, not been out in public very much in the last couple of months, uh, ever since really going back to uh, early March after he won Super Tuesday. And, you know, he seems to be doing just fine, uh, keeping a very low profile. Uh, should he continue to continue? Uh, you're a veteran of many political campaigns. Uh, should Biden keep? A low profile and essentially uh, just uh, watch uh, with other Americans while Trump makes a fool of himself, or does he need to be more aggressive politically? Yeah, I think he, uh, well, first of all, I think it, the strategy has been well taken where they have let uh, the, uh, the president, Trump, completely um, um, essentially exhibit all of the uh, poor qualities that he's exhibited over the last three years. Uh, in the last six months. So I think that strategy has worked till now. I think there's opportunity for the uh, for Joe Biden to strategically calm the nation, uh, act presidential, appear at events where he can be the consoler in chief and be the leader that we expect in our president and show the American people what it looks like to have somebody who's really qualified to, for the office. So I think there's an opportunity. Okay. Uh, he hasn't uh, been very visible, but he is, I thought Biden has picked his spots very well, uh, and he's contrasted himself well against Trump. Right. Uh, while Trump was golfing over the weekend, uh, Memorial Day weekend, uh, which was horrible, you know, horrible um, from both a policy and political standpoint. Uh, Joe Biden made a appearance uh, at a uh, uh, memorial to veterans in Delaware. 
and yesterday, uh, while uh, Donald Trump was uh, playing Bunker Boy in a big cavern behind below the White House, uh, Joe Biden made another appearance uh, talking to uh, protesters uh, in Delaware. Uh, and uh, he hasn't been very visible, but he certainly has uh, picked his spots. Uh, what do you think, you know, do you think the Biden people are doing this purposely, you know, just keeping a very low profile uh, and uh, hoping that uh, Trump has the screen to himself and makes a fool to himself. And do you think they'll be more aggressive in the, in the rest of the during the rest of the fall campaign? Yeah, I, I do. I think, look, I do think there's a strategy behind what they've uh, behind their, you know, their actions. And so uh, I think ultimately it has worked. Um, I think it frustrates some progressives and others who want to see a very aggressive campaign against Donald Trump. However, he does a really good job of destroying himself himself. Uh, and, um, you know, we can't do it any better than that. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think there are opportunities coming up for the uh, for Joe Biden to give a national talk uh, sort of to, you know, uh, uh, and to be presidential. And I think they should execute those opportunities. And I think as uh, as things open up from the covid standpoint, we need to see him on the road a little bit more um, in strategically well-placed opportunities. Okay, uh, and Tim, what do you make of the fact that uh, Joe Biden has a 10-point lead? Uh, should he be happy? Uh, should he? Uh, does it mean anything at this point with uh, yeah. uh, you know five months to go? Yeah, it means a lot. I mean, it's a momentum thing. It's a it's a money thing. It's a grassroots organizing uh, opportunity. Uh, I think it gets people excited. Uh, you know, the people talk about this sort of excitement gap with uh, Joe Biden. I don't personally see it. and The numbers don't show it. So I think there's, uh, you know, I think uh, the campaign, um, I think these numbers are very good for Joe Biden, especially if he can hold on to these leads. Okay. Uh, that's all, uh, for Deadline DC with Brad Bannon today. Uh, I want to thank my guest, uh, Janae Osterheld from the Boston Globe, who gave, who very eloquently discussed the racial climate in this country, uh, Tim Zink of Molecule, uh, and progressive political activist Mark Romaldi. Uh, I'm here Mondays at three o'clock if it's what three o'clock p.m. Eastern time if the Lord is filling in the creek don't ride. This is Brad Bannon. Stay strong, stay safe, and don't drink the Clorox or the Kool-Aid. And I don't <laughs> care what the president says. Tune in again next Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern time. With the new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming. Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service with AutoPay. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details. Right now, switch your family to T-Mobile and get four lines for $25 a line with AutoPay and 5G access included on America's largest 5G network. 
So don't wait. Get unlimited and nationwide 5G access for the whole family for just $25 a line. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com today. Plus taxes and fees. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using over 50 gigs a month due to data prioritization. Video at 480p. Unlimited while on our network. Qualifying credit and full plus lines required. Capable device required for 5G. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain features. See T-Mobile.com.